It's the 30th of October, 2016, and this is episode 313 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin. My name is Adam B. Levine. I'm the editor-in-chief here, and today I'm joined by one of the other hosts of LTB, Stephanie Murphy. Before we get into it, as I mentioned last week, if you want to catch me in person, I'll be moderating two panels for the second year in a row at the New Context Conference. It takes place in San Francisco this Friday, November 4th. Visit letstalkbitcoin.com conference to learn more. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, Stephanie and I are continuing the conversation on scaling Bitcoin, our expectations, and kind of the future of all of this stuff. <laughs> Stephanie, how are you doing today? Good. Why is it that you, me, and Andreas can never line up at the same time to talk about this all together? <laughs> it's like we've been trying for months. <laughs> it's been an interesting kind of way to split up the conversation because it gives me time to think about it between each one of these parts. And so like the the picture is becoming a little bit more clear to me and i actually think at this point it's very clear i think that we've heard now from uh both andreas on the last episode and uh john ratcliffe on episode i believe 309 that scaling is going to happen largely at layers above the core bitcoin settlement layer and that the idea that we've had in mind that bitcoin was going to be this peer-to-peer uh value transfer system it could be used, you know, just between two people off in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the idea that that transaction can, in fact, fit into this global ledger of every single transaction that ever happens ever using this technology, that this was a naive assumption and that the core roadmap for scaling basically has small increases, but it's never, ever, ever going to be such that, you know, like we'll have transactions as cheap as they were four years ago. It wasn't naive at the beginning when we first started out. I mean, Satoshi didn't even know that Bitcoin was going to last or that it was going to get as big as it has. It's a good problem to have, like Andreas always says, you know, that we need to think about this now. But at the time when, you know, the core protocol was sort of being ironed out, it totally made sense to have a record of every single transaction. And now it's grown beyond that. And I guess like, you're you're right. Scaling is going to happen. And that's kind of the way I've always felt about it. I've never had a super strong opinion about like how to get there. You know, I just figured people who understand this problem better than I do will figure out different solutions and they'll be thrown out there to be tested in the world. And the best ones will do well. And that's how things usually work, right? It's just problems sort themselves out. It's almost like the Bitcoin core has become almost bureaucratic. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing because we don't want it to be super easy to change, like we've said a million times before on the show. But it's like it's kind of gridlocked as far as making changes that accommodate scaling. And so, meanwhile, people are like, all right, well, that gridlock is happening. We're going to come up with some other solutions that could do scaling in other creative ways that don't require many changes, like changes to the core protocol. And we're going to try those out. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm optimistic or, you know, just kind of laissez-faire about it. Like, I think it'll work itself out. And that's how I've always felt about it. It sort of doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. It's like people have really strong opinions about what the means should be to get to the end. And the the end is scaling, right? And the means could be lightning network, side chains, core protocol modifications, all of the above, some combination of them and more solutions too that I'm not even mentioning. Getting the solution is more important than how you get there. There's multiple ways to skin a cat, you know? 
So that's kind of what I come to as well, is that this is different than the kind of core value proposition that we've been talking about for a long time. And to be clear, when I was saying it's naive, I just mean like in hindsight, it was naive because, you know, that appears to be the reality that we live in. It appears to have been a naive assumption to have made at that point because of how things have turned out. No, but I'm saying maybe not. Maybe that's not the case because this wasn't a problem until recently. It wasn't planned for because it wasn't a problem yet. You know what I mean? And so why spend time addressing a problem that doesn't yet exist? I think maybe Satoshi figured that if it got to the point where Bitcoin needed to have the ability to accommodate larger transaction volumes in the future when it had much more traffic, then people would figure out a way to do it. But that wasn't his concern right back then. You know what I mean? I think he maybe this was sort of part of the plan. I, I don't know. I don't think we need to make uh, anybody out. To, I mean, just the reality is, is that everybody is doing completely new things in this space. And so much of this, again, and we talked a lot in the early days about this being kind of a new science, right? This is like an entirely new area of research and development where really there are analogs in other spaces, but there's nothing really like it. And so all of the work that's being done now is really foundational work. And so people, you know, like Spells of Genesis is my go-to example because they've been really successful, but they've also locked themselves into a lot of decisions that like you can't blame them for it and you know because at the time they were making it there was no there were no signposts out there for them to follow they they are literally creating the signposts as they go but it still doesn't mean that it didn't hurt them for having made those decisions so m- my point here though broadly is just that in all of the different solutions we're talking about effectively you see bitcoin becoming the source of reality and the source of truth where all of the uh, you know, all of the resources can be uh, put into a very small number of transactions ultimately, because that's essentially what you're talking about is if you uh, if you do this scaling in the way that they want to, then they effectively want to make uh, each individual transaction much, 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 much more secure than if you have all of the transactions on the Bitcoin network, because you have this rel- you know, relative amount of hashing power going into them. So each transaction gets to be more expensive. So again, like you can use it as a source of reality and then build layers on top of that. And some of those layers will be centralized, like the stuff that I'm working on with Tokenly. And some of those layers are completely decentralized, like the stuff that you see with like Lightning Network type implementations. Um, and then there's kind of the in-between stuff with sidechains, which will probably use some sort of uh, like uh, software inter- intermediation between in, or- in order to automate the pegging and stuff like that. So a- anyways, the-, the point of it is, is that I don't think that this matters. I don't think that this actually fundamentally changes the value proposition. It just changes how the peer-to-peer nature of it is being implemented. Because in all of these solutions, it still has the trustless nature. And there might be an intermediary in there, so it might not be a direct one, uh, you know, party A to party B, but the party in the middle doesn't know what's going on and isn't really involved with anything outside of doing kind of this base-level facilitation. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very much also on the solutions are the thing that matters rather than, you know, whether our initial expectations were correct. I've been wrong about a lot of things, both in terms of things I've said publicly and things that I've thought privately about what was going to go on. So I've become very humble over time. Yeah, no, it's good to be humble. Like it's it's very good to be humble, especially when you're a journalist, you know, because you're just you're kind of just observing. And if you don't learn from those observations, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> so Stephanie, you know, in the last episode uh, where you and I spoke, um, you were kind of down on stuff, you know, just because, again, we talked about the Bitcoin network had grown, it had been diluted, the ideology that had been very strong in the beginning was was out, and that you were not as engaged as you were before. Um, I'm kind of curious, like, 
uh, what would make you more engaged? Is there anything that would make you more engaged? Uh, like, if uh, like, are you interested in altcoins with better sub communities at this point, or like, has has this change in Bitcoin made you think about other cryptocurrencies or how you relate to this cryptocurrency differently over time? Interesting question. I wasn't expecting you to ask that. Yeah, um, totally, totally out of nowhere. So, <laughs> but that's the best kind. So I I'm not super interested in altcoins what would make me more engaged the thing that's turned me off honestly one of the biggest things that's turned me off is that it just seems like everything is so complicated i could get bitcoin but i did a lot of research to get bitcoin <laughs> you know at the at the beginning days and whatever 2005 years ago i'm not a dumb person but it did take a little bit of work to wrap my head around it and understand it I feel like Bitcoin has stood the test of time at this point. I'm not really willing to do the work to understand and get to know Bitcoin-like things, maybe like altcoins and things like that. It seems like there's too many things that are kind of competing for this limited amount of attention I have. Bitcoin clearly was worth it and proved itself to be worth it, um, spending the time to get to know it. But I only have so much time and <laughs> like I can't spend my whole life on it. I work not in the Bitcoin industry, which has been, you know, it's had upsides and downsides when it relates to doing this show. Sometimes people don't take me seriously because I don't work in the Bitcoin world, which is fine. Um, and sometimes it's really good to have something that I do, which is voiceover, that's completely outside of Bitcoin. So I can take a break from Bitcoin if I want to. And some people who do work really intimately in the Bitcoin space, it's like, Man, it can take over your life. And it's an emotional roller coaster. The price goes up, the price goes down. Bitcoin's going to die. The death of Bitcoin is announced on every newspaper every few months. There's a huge hack, there's a huge crash, there's a betrayal, there's scams. Like that stuff happens every day in Bitcoin. And it is an emotional roller coaster. It's like enough. I'm, pic I'm picturing like, you know, there's these old timey movies about like, stockbrokers and they're sitting at their desk like sweating and reaching for a drinking a bottle of Maylox because they're like, oh my God, I have an ulcer. Like this is so stressful. And Bitcoin can be just like that sometimes. So I'm actually really glad that I don't work at a Bitcoin company because I can step back from it. And I think that's necessary. Being able to take a break from something and then sort of come back when you feel intrinsically motivated to with a fresh perspective is really important for for sticking with something for the long term. Yeah, so it sounds like you've found balance kind of in terms of where Bitcoin fits into your life. Exactly. Yeah. I've found balance. And and now it's sounding like this weird culty religious thing like I'm I've been I've been <laughs> I used to go to the church of Bitcoin every day and now <laughs> I've recently I've been pulling back. But it's it's not like that it's just a hobby that takes up a lot of time it's a very fascinating and interesting hobby it's a hobby that could become my job and that could take over my whole life if i wanted it to and let it but i realized that i don't want it to and i'm not gonna let it so so i guess that's i guess that's where i'm at i'm not I, i'm maybe i'm not so down and depressed about bitcoin as i sounded in those previous shows i still think it's cool i still use it like daily, weekly, all the time. But it didn't get easier fast enough. That's been the thing that I've noticed is that like, it's still hard to do all of these things. No, it didn't. It just got more complicated. And then it was like, as soon as I wrapped my head around Bitcoin, everybody started talking about, 
oh, now it's 2.0. It's like, I felt, I constantly felt like I've been, you know, sort of left behind. It's like, oh, you're telling me now I have to start trying to understand what Ethereum does and counterparty and all these other things. And now I have to know about the lightning network and uh, have a informed opinion about what size I think the block should be. And it's like, no, that's not my job. I'm a voice actor (laughs) and a podcast host. And I'm a scientist, like I was a scientist before that, but not in computer science in life sciences. And so that's not my job to know about that stuff. It's cool to use Bitcoin and to know about it on sort of a relatively superficial level compared to some people who might be listening to the show and working in the industry. But I'm not the one to say on on certain topics. It's like, don't listen to me because I'm just a I'm just a commentator <laughs> who doesn't have much of a stake in it. And that can be good and that can also be bad. So yeah, that's that's how I feel. I felt like it it never got easier and it it got more complicated and faster moving. The pressure to be ahead of that on the bleeding edge just kind of made me throw up my hands and say, well, I'm never going to be the leader of the bleeding edge. So I think someone like Andreas can do that. He is like on the bleeding edge, but he also has more of a technical background. He's works in the big, like everything in his, he eats, sleeps and breathes Bitcoin and he's super passionate about it. And when we were talking about it, yeah, he was saying that like that he's able to do what he's able to do in terms of internalizing all of this stuff and basically continuing to to come up with new interesting takes on it because he spends all of his time thinking about things that other people have done in the space basically yeah. and isn't really focused too much on innovating himself so i think that there's definitely huge you know like it, it's a full-time job to be aware of the space yeah, since i is. got involved heavily with developing my own stuff i have completely fallen off the radar in terms of keeping up with the rest of the space. So it's like, yeah, you just have to allocate your time and figure out where it's going to belong. So it's really interesting to me how we've all taken these kind of divergent paths here and gone down our own uh, places. But we've, I mean, like, just like in the beginning, though, we still have very diverse perspectives because of those choices that we've made in the context in which we find ourselves. And yet we have a lot of commonalities, too. So that's very interesting to see how that continues. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. I mean, thinking back, you know, I often think back to like the starting, (laughs) the first 10 episodes of Let's Talk Bitcoin. And yeah, it was a different picture then, but we were all still figuring out where we wanted to go with it. And now we're a little bit more further down the path. And it's cool that we've stayed together. Like I let, I love the consistency of us three, like doing the show. I like the two person shows and I like the three person shows. And it's, I think we, us having that consistency is special. Not much else in the Bitcoin world has had that consistency for over three years now. Like, how many Bitcoin companies can you think of that have lasted for three years? Not many. It's a short list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's BitPay. I think uh, Coinbase Coinbase was started at the time. Circle was actually after that. Circle started up after we'd been... uh... We've been going hey, for a while. we've got more of a track record and longevity <laughs> than Circle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. So, uh, so let, let me press with this line of questioning yeah, a little bit more, if sure. you don't mind. Um, interesting. Where do you see yourselves on the spectrum in terms of Bitcoin users then? Are you just like, you have some Bitcoin and you like to use them to buy stuff sometimes? and Or like, do you consider yourself a speculator or like... Where, where in kind of the ecosystem? Or are you just someone who thought it was interesting and now you're just kind of waiting for it to be interesting again? Hmm. I don't think it will ever be as interesting. And it's like a new relationship. You know, it's never going to be like when you were first dating, but now you're married and you have something special and it's going to grow over time and it's going to get better in the future. So that's what I feel like. I feel like in 2011, I had just met Bitcoin. I was all starry eyed. It was like my new partner and I was really excited. And we had that new relationship energy. And now it's, it's turned into a marriage that's endured over time. 
So I would consider myself not just a casual user of Bitcoin because I use it often um, with my friends who have known about, I have a lot of friends and contacts and clients who have known about Bitcoin for a long time, like I have. And I, you know, whenever we're trying to pay each other for something, whether it's just, you know, we go out to dinner and we want to split the check or, you know, they, I did a voiceover for them and they want to send me money or whatever. We always like go with Bitcoin because it's just easier and better. (laughs) And, you know, whenever I have a client, voiceover client that is in sort of the cryptocurrency space, I'll ask them, do you want to pay with Bitcoin or with another coin or, or with 30 FRNs? (laughs) No, I don't say dirty anymore. (laughs) I I think you said something really interesting there. You said where it's easy, it's better. Yeah. And I think that that's a really key Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, for that, that we found too is like if it's hard, then it's not better. If it's hard, then it's way worse in a lot of different ways. But like if the stars align and this is the easiest way to do it, then it's so much easier than the other ways. We yeah, um, absolutely for tokenly pay like sixty percent of uh, people in Bitcoin, and then we have a couple in New York who uh. we can't pay in Bitcoin because of the way that things are set up, and so we have to uh, to uh, ACH them money, and uh, I think one other person too. But the process for ACHing, it's been really fascinating, has gotten so much better and faster over the last mm-hmm. three years. It's now a one-day mm-hmm. process um, to, to bankwire someone, you know, something in the United States. It's still going, but like we have lots in Canada and for them, it's ages easier to use Bitcoin, just like ridiculously mind-numbingly <laughs> easier to use Bitcoin. Yeah. So, so like that's, that's what I found too, is that like you, if, if you are smart about where you use it, then it adds it adds a lot of value, but if you just try to use it everywhere, then it's it's adding a lot of extra process that doesn't add a yeah, lot of value. Yeah, that's right. That's the point that I'm at too. It's like um, I know where to use it so that it's advantageous for me and it saves time and makes life easier. But I'm not going to go spinning my wheels, being like just for the sake of being an evangelist and going like every restaurant I go to. Do you take Bitcoin yet? Why not? You know, I, I'm not going to spend time doing that, but. I know there's some areas of my life where it makes it easier and there there are quite a few actually. So I think I'm somewhere beyond just casual consumer user. I don't just use it for shopping. I mean, I actively try to gain more Bitcoin by working for Bitcoin and by um, sometimes buying Bitcoin. And I guess that makes me a speculator by default um, because I'm holding some of it. You know, <laughs> I don't just sell it immediately and use it as a payment method. I just see that as you choosing how to hold your savings in, right? I mean, I yeah. think that people are balancing, like, you know, you have some in stock, you have some in money. You have, I mean, like, you know, you, you just balance. So this is just another type of thing for that. I, w- I would consider a speculator more someone who, like, if you were out buying, you know, uh, you know, altcoins or something like that, or investing in uh, initial coin offering, something like that, that's more of a speculator role in the cryptocurrency as I see it. Yeah, no, I don't, I really don't engage in that because I know that you shouldn't invest in things that you don't understand. And <laughs> it was like hard enough to understand Bitcoin. And there's just been so many scams and failures out there too. It's like the risk turns me off a little bit. Maybe I'm a little less risk tolerant, but risk tolerant enough to, to be involved in Bitcoin. I think that we've just seen over time that the risk in these ICOs is moved off of the team that's doing the implementation and onto the investors. And that's actually <laughs> yeah. not a good set of incentives. No, absolutely not. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So that that's me too, is, you know, like if, if you can find a really interesting, you know, like a really compelling offer that you understand, then they can be really cool. But otherwise it's like, it's trying, you know, it's, it's like a greater full investing, right? It's like everyone's doing it because they're like, oh, this could be the next big thing and the potential returns are huge. 
And so you just see these stampedes over and over again into stupid. Stampede so into stupid. I, There's a show title. <laughs> that's been really what's on my mind recently is like, like ideologically, I'm a little butthurt about all this. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you butthurt? Well, no, I mean, just like about how, how it's gone down with Bitcoin. Yeah. Just because uh-huh. like, because the way that I thought that I was going to be able to do this based on that initial understanding has dramatically changed. But on the other hand, I actually like the solutions that we have now better than the solutions that we would have had if we were on if we were trying to do everything on on Bitcoin. And I look at people now who do projects entirely using a blockchain and having no server components. And I'm like, wow, that's a that's a ballsy choice that you've made to, (laughs) you know, to do it the hardest way possible before you've even proven if there's a market that exists for the thing that you're trying to do. Mm, Yeah. So so that's been the shift in my perspective is just like. You know, like we would have done things all on chain and in hindsight, it probably would have been a mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I, so like I said, so like intellectually, I'm like, man, we didn't keep all that stuff that we wanted and we, you know, and, and, and I can't just like make a transaction and it costs a penny and it's there in like 10 minutes predictably. Like you totally, that's never going to be a reality on the Bitcoin blockchain. Right. you know so like that sucks but on the other hand if that means that i can pay nothing and get it there instantly because we're using this lightning layer that's built into my wallet Mm -hmm. and it uses bitcoin as validity but it doesn't like rely on bitcoin as the fundamental reason why it it knows it can spend something right Mm -hmm. if it uses it as like a backup system uh like you know you ship the gold but you give them the credit in advance except that the shipping takes 10 minutes as opposed to so like if you can do that then that's pretty good actually that's pretty close to what a, a normal user experience is and that's really where i see the big hurdles still being with all this stuff is like everything you have to do with bitcoin requires its own applications requires mm-hmm. you know you to onboard into new systems requires you to understand concepts requires you to write down words requires yeah. you to you know you got to care about a lot of stuff yeah that you don't have to do otherwise so so we're still in that part but we're getting closer thanks for listening to this episode of let's talk bitcoin Content for the show was provided by Stephanie and Adam. Music for this episode was provided by Jared Rubens. And this episode was edited by Adam B. Levine. The magic word for today's episode is easy. That's E-A-S-Y. Easy. Visit letstalkbitcoin.com this week to enter the magic word and earn your share of the listener rewards. And of course, you can always email Adam at letstalkbitcoin.com if you have any questions. See you next time.